Good morning, everyone. Isn't it great to have the Ackers back? We just are so happy. Can't imagine all the fruit uh, that has been wrought over this last decade plus and will be wrought in the future because of your going. So grateful, Phil, to have you here and, and um, just be inspired by your life of service and the VBS people standing, that's inspiring as well, isn't it? Um, so much we could talk about, but um, I want to focus in on John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there, please? John chapter 15. We're going to read the whole chapter together and then uh, dig in. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin or not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Father, we ask that you would give us divine insight and revelation into your word, Lord. We just thank you that we can gather and dig into your word together and mind life and truth. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, John chapter 15 is part of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's, uh, it was Jesus' farewell sermon, if you will, his last words to his disciples, and it's encapsulated in chapters 13 through 17. Chapter 13, you may remember in that chapter, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he serves them, and he gives them a new commandment to love one another. In chapter 14, he comforts them about his departure. He tells a little bit about heaven and how we will be with him uh, in eternity. In chapter 15, our chapter that we're studying today, he warns and he charges them to cling to him very, very closely. In chapter 16, he tells them a little bit more about what's coming, about his death and his resurrection. And then in chapter 17, he prays for himself. He prays for the disciples. And by extension, he prays for us, those who will believe without ever having seen him on earth. In our passage, the main point is that we must understand and maintain this vital connection that Christ demands we have with him, the true vine. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, says about this um, upper room discourse that Jesus is concerned about the disciples being tempted. He says they would be tempted to leave him and return to Moses again. And therefore, he tells them how necessary it is that they should by faith adhere to him and abide in him. Henry says they would be tempted to grow strange to one another, by which he means that they would lose their friendship and their communion with each other that they've enjoyed up until that time. And he says that Jesus was concerned that they would be tempted to shrink from their apostleship when they met with hardships, and therefore he prepares them to bear the shock of the world's hatred. My title for this message is The Vital Connection. And um, I felt that this outline came to mind that there are five branches of vital connection in this passage. There's our position in Christ, our purpose in Christ, our privilege in Christ, 
our portion in Christ and our provision through Christ. And so I'd like to talk about these five branches this morning of vital connection. The first one is our position in Christ. We read in um, verses 4 and 5 that we are to abide in Christ. Amen? We're to abide in him. Let's read those verses together. Verses 4 and verse 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't know about you, but this word abide is not one that I connect with immediately. It's almost like I find myself questioning, well, what do you really mean by that, Lord? What, is, what does that word really mean? If you look it up in the Greek, it, it, it emphasizes remaining or staying. Let me give you some synonyms for that word abide. It means to remain or to adhere to the Lord, to stay or persevere in him, um, make your home with him, continue in him, dwell in him, endure with him, stand with him, and tarry, never leave him or wander away. But emotionally, I have to say, I think this word carries more freight than that. Uh, definitely that's the main meaning, is to remain in the Lord. But I also feel there's this, in this word abide, there's this sense of intimacy and union, isn't there? There's this sense of um, complete communion with the Lord. Uh, it makes me think of that verse, 1 Corinthians 6.17, where it says, those who have joined themselves to the Lord are one spirit with him. We know that his spirit comes and, and rests in us. And we also know that Colossians 3 says we're seated with him in heavenly places. Paul talked in Galatians 2 about this exchanged life with Christ. And so there's this tremendous sense in that word abide for me emotionally that we are one with Christ. Peter talks about becoming partakers of the divine nature. What a mystery that facet of this word connotes. I think there's a second meaning for me emotionally again, and that is that I am safe and secure in Christ. Bruce and I were talking before the service, and I was saying, you know, in these later, last couple of months, the only time that I've really felt safe, or, or put it this way, uh, in prayer, I came to realize that I felt this deep safety while I'm praying, just a sense that I'm safe and secure in the Lord. When I'm just doing, my, just doing life, I don't have that sense of deep safety and security. I don't feel, you know, fearful, but I, but I don't have that sense of just deep safety. And so you might... You might think about that the next time you're praying is, do I feel this sense of safety and security that I don't feel at any other time? Let's look at Psalm 91 together, because in the Psalms, 
there is this great sense of security and safety. The Lord is our, our refuge. He's our fortress. He's our deliverer. He's our shade on the, our right hand. He's our keeper. He's our bulwark. He's our deliverer. Uh, Psalms is filled with those kinds of words. And in Psalm 91, just the first four, view, four verses, just the beauty of this security is, is highlighted. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. How many just feel that in your spirit? You know, you are my refuge, Lord. You are my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Tom earlier said that he was delivered from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence through the prayers of, his peop- of, of God's people. But definitely this word abide primarily means what I first said about remaining in Christ, clinging to him, never letting go. Uh, Some years ago, I told about how one of my favorite activities as a youth pastor was to go rent a speedboat on Lake Ford Gibson and drag the basic kids around on an inner tube as fast as I could go. These were powerful boats. Any of you in basic might remember these boats. And uh, so we'd be dragging a kid behind as fast as, as I could go, and then I would, I would make a, a, a sharp, quite a sharp turn, and, you, and the, the, the guy on the back would swing out and be going faster than the speedboat because it was like they were being slung with a slingshot. And, of course, it was very difficult to to stay, you know, you would lean, they would lean in and be shaking, and then, and um, it was just so fun. <laughs> but the, the, the next funnest thing to do was to cut my own wake and watch them get launched into the air. I loved the sound of young flesh slapping the water. It just, it was one of the highlights of being a youth minister. You would see their legs, you know, their hands might hang on, but their legs would go up and eventually they'd, they'd fly off. Another trick was to get the inner tube to flip, and so they're underwater hanging on, and you just see how long they could, could handle that. But there was one kid uh, from Russia, uh, Kostya, you re- might remember Kostya, and Rumor had it his family was from, uh, uh, had a long history of being acrobatics in the circus and trapeze artists. Is that true, Gordon? Were they? Maybe granddad or somebody was a trapeze artist in the circus. Well, Kostya, I could not get him off of that inner tube. There was no other kid in all my history of basic that I couldn't shake. He hung on to that inner tube like crazy. And I remember him being in that upside-down position, being dragged for a long time. And I thought, surely he's not there. But all of a sudden, whoop, he'd turn over, 
and there he'd be grinning at me and taunting me, you know, go faster, you know. Um, so when I think of clinging to Christ, that's the image that comes to mind. This is the key branch of the vine, is that our personal relationship with God. Wouldn't you agree with me that that's the key? How closely we cling to him, how closely we abide in him, how, how radical we are in fostering that personal relationship with Christ, abiding in him. This is our, our position in Christ. See this vital connection that he demands of us as his followers. The second branch of vital connection is our purpose. Our purpose is to what? Bear fruit and in doing so glorify God. Let's look at the verses that highlight that. John 15 uh, verses 8 and 16. Verse 8 says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verse uh, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, when we read about fruit in this chapter, I think many of us are tempted to think that fruit refers to the only to the number of people that we disciple in Christ or, or cause to be disciples in Christ. But I think that's too narrow a definition, don't you? I think that's too narrow a definition. Um, I was thinking about blueberry picking with Dallas and Marin. And you go out, to, they've taken me a couple times out to this uh, farm or this ranch called Thunderbird Ranch. And they have rows upon rows upon rows of the healthiest blueberry plants you've ever seen. I was out there for an hour and a half with, with Dallas and Marin. I picked seven pounds of blueberries. I'm a very inexperienced blueberry picker. Um, but they picked 20 pounds. Um, so these, these plants are really impressive. But you know, I have raspberry plants in my garden. And uh, these are not impressive plants. They are just sticks. Um, and, you know, you're just hoping for a leaf. Just give me a leaf. And one day you go out there, and there's a couple little leaves on this stick. And lo and behold, sure enough, a week or two ago, there was a one plump raspberry. And I ate it. And I got to tell you, I had more satisfaction over that one plump raspberry from my garden than I did from those seven pounds of blueberries. No offense, Dal. But, you know, I wonder if our Lord feels sometimes that same way about us. You know, that it, it's not necessarily, I mean, yes, of course he's pleased that we bring as many into the kingdom as possible and disciple as many as possible, but he's also the one who says, a bruised reed and a smoldering wick I will not blow out. 
He's, he nurtures and he blesses. He wants to see that fruit. You know, don't despise the small things. Others might think about fruitfulness in this passage as only meaning people getting saved. Again, I think that's too narrow a definition. Ray Steadman is a, a pastor, an author. Uh, he's deceased now, but he was the spiritual father of Louis Palau and uh, Charles Swindoll, among others. And he wrote a sermon called God's Vineyard about John 15. And listen to what he says about this, this uh, issue we're talking about. What is the fruit? He says, I am amazed to find people who read this as though the fruit were only others one to Christ. Many are troubled by those who claim that unless a Christian is constantly winning others, others to Christ, he is a fruitless Christian. I want to reassure you that this is not the case. Letting Scripture interpret Scripture, it is evident that the fruit which God expects of the vine is moral character. The fruit which, is the, which the Spirit produces, which Paul describes in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit, in other words, is Christ-likeness. Now, I know some of you probably are nodding your heads and giving a hearty amen to that. Um, but I think there are others probably saying, no, wait a minute. I think it's talking about uh, winning others to Christ and discipling them in the kingdom. I bet if I had a show of hands, it'd be, it'd be split. Others may be saying, well, surely both, both are there. Um, Stedman kind of brings it all together with a really interesting story that I'd like to read to you. It's about, it's about a uh, sort of a dude ranch camp for rich people. And uh, just listen to how this plays out, how character fruit and conversion fruit go hand in hand, at least in this situation. He says, a friend of mine passed through Palo Alto this week on his way to Colorado to participate in a very unusual ranch. This ranch is owned and operated by a mutual friend and is designed as a guest ranch for wealthy and affluent people. The man who owns it has a heart of concern for what he calls the up-and-outers, those who are overprivileged, who have all too much of everything, yet to whom very few are witnessing, telling them of life in Christ. So he has designed this ranch for that purpose. People come and spend a lot of money staying a week or so at a time. There are no Bible studies, no meetings. It's a very low-key approach. What the owner does, however, is to go throughout the country and interview young people for the crew to work on this ranch. He will interview perhaps 300 young people and from them select only 30. He asks them three questions. First, do you love work? Because they're gonna to have to work sometimes from seven in the morning until 10 or 11 at night. He wants them to love their work. Then he asks them, do you love people? Do you like to be with people and relate to them? They must satisfy him that they truly love people. The third question is, do you love Jesus? If they can assure him that they love work, love people, and love Jesus, 
then they have a tremendous opportunity to work at that ranch. When the guests arrive, after um, the crew simply relates to them and gives them the time of their lives. By the third evening, the guests are all asking, where did you get this tremendous crew of young people? What a fantastic group they are. On the third evening, the owner of the ranch sits down and, with them and says, many of you have been asking about our crew. Let me tell you why they are the way they are. And he tells them about the three questions he asked. Do you love work? Do you love people? And do you love Jesus? He says, now it may seem strange to you that I should ask that last question, but I've learned that the only young people who can ever stand up to this grueling demand and can meet it with an unvarying spirit of joy and gladness with a kind of attitude that has so impressed you are those who have learned to love Jesus. From then on, there are still no meetings, but invariably every week there are those guests who come and say, I want to know more about this. And there are conversions after conversions throughout the remainder of the week because of young people who manifest by their lives that they are Jesus' disciples. They prove to, to be his disciples. I got to tell you, this story makes me think of some of the young people in our church. I won't embarrass them by calling them out by name, but I, I know you're thinking of some as well. Our purpose is to bear fruit and glorify God. Amen? What an honor. What an honor. Well, the third branch of vital connection is our privilege, which is to express God's love to one another. Let's look at verses 12 through 15 again. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. Matthew Henry said, we will be tempted to become strange to each other, and that is a temptation because many of us are quite strange. But Peter said a beautiful thing in verse 22 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Fervently love one another from the heart. Jesus said in John 13, they will know that you are my disciples by what? Your love, not just love, but your love for one another. And I'm so pleased with the koinonia that we enjoy here at TCF. C.S. Lewis called that koinonia, that fellowship, that supernatural, natural love that we express to each other. He called that the good infection. Isn't that a beautiful term? The good infection. And we feel that. I was thinking about VBS this week and what a privilege to express the love of God to these many children. I was thinking, would it be worth it if a single child came to Christ this week? Would it be worth it, all the work? 
if not a single child came to Christ this week, they still will literally taste the kingdom of God. Amen? They will taste that good infection. They will hear the word of God. Their spirits will be watered for a future harvest, a future quickening. They will experience God's love. They will feel the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's our privilege to express the love of God. I remember shortly after being filled with the Spirit, fellowshipping at a church that was new to me, and uh, there was a time of greeting visitors, like we just enjoyed, or, or I'm sorry, passing the peace, just hugging each other. And I remember this big, big guy with a three-piece suit on making his way for me, and um, he, just, he just gathered me up in his big arms and just held me, and he smelled so good. I mean, it's weird to say that about a man, but... but <laughs> But I just felt like, whoa, where am I? This is, this is wonderful. Is this an angel? And uh, it was beautiful. I still remember it to this day. So that's that good infection, that supernatural love that embraces us. A fourth branch of vital connection in this passage is our portion. And what is our portion? Our portion is to be hated by the world. Our portion is to be hated by the world. I know a pastor of a large denominational church in another state who um, was given, given this new church, and he's working in this new church, and there is an associate pastor there, an elderly man, dearly beloved by the church, who wanted the, past, the senior pastor role to be his. Um, the pastor friend of mine that I'm referring to is a man of integrity. He's a man who um, would not strike back when he was attacked. Um, and it became clear very quickly that this associate pastor was um, acting seditiously and trying to undermine him and win over the uh, reins of the church. Pretty common scenario in a lot of churches, unfortunately. Um, my friend kept going to the, you know, trying to work with the man and going to his bishop and saying, this is not working out. And the bishop kept saying, you need to, you need to make this work until finally the uh, seditious associate pastor was finally caught by the bishop doing something that was totally inexcusable. So the bishop fired him and demanded that he leave the church. After that happened, into the pastor's office marched a group of the associate pastor's uh, families or adults who were following him uh, in his sedition. And they said this to the pastor. They said, we know you've won. We admit it. But we just want you to know we're going to stay and make your life a living hell. Now, can you imagine that kind of evil uh, in your face uh, there every Sunday as you preach and as you work, them trying to take you down? 
we have a, the Bible has a term for this. It's called wolves. It's called wolves being in your midst. Um, antithetical to the spirit of Christ. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What an incredible promise. You know, we, we want the blessings of Christ, but are we also so married to him that we will take the difficulties as well? Scripture is exhorting us to do that. You remember in Philippians, I believe it's chapter 3, where Paul said that I may um, share the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul wanted to share the fellowship of his sufferings. He didn't just want the good stuff. He wanted the whole package of being united to Christ. I also think of that passage in Philippians chapter 1 where Paul said to the Philippian church, for to you it has been granted not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's been granted as if it's a gift. Um, and perhaps, indeed, it is. He is our portion, both in his life and resurrection power and in his sufferings. Jesus reminded his disciples that they aren't above him, that as the world hated him, it will also hate us. The fifth branch, and what a branch this is, is our provision the Holy Spirit himself. Let's look at John 15, 26 through 27. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And you will bear witness also, because you've been with me from the beginning. Of course, the Greek word that we um, talk about in English is paraclete uh, or parakletos, the one who comes alongside to help. This is a Greek word that's very rich in meaning, and, and it's so rich that you'll find in your Bibles that it's translated different ways. For example, in the New American Standard Bible, um, help, uh, paraclete is translated helper. In the King James Version, it's translated comforter. And in the NIV, it's translated counselor. Can you say that the Holy Spirit has been your provision? Has he whispered to you in the night watches? Has he guided you when you were in the midst of a terrible situation? Has he comforted you when your soul was grieving? 
Has he encouraged you when you were cast down? Has he strengthened you when your workload was too heavy to bear? Has he counseled you when the way was strewn with traps and snares? Has he borne you up when you were laid low? Has he delivered you when the way forward seemed impossible? Has he taught you when you ran out of teachers? And has he anointed you beyond your strength when it was time for battle? How many of you just... Just to glorify the Lord, how many of you would raise your hand and say, at least one of those is true to me? The Lord, the Holy Spirit, has been my provision. The Holy Spirit has been my provision. I want to conclude by addressing a theme in this chapter that we haven't touched so far and that is the necessity of pruning, the necessity of pruning. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. The art of caring for vines is called viticulture. Fruitless branches are called suckers and are cut away. And fruitful branches are further trained and pruned in order to bear more fruit. So I'm wondering if the Holy Spirit has pointed out to you any sucker vines in your lives as I've been speaking or areas that you would like to give to him for further training or pruning. Maybe you simply want to just stand before God and say, Father, prune me. Father, I want to bring you more glory and more fruit. I'm not done. I thank you for what um, was said about, about Phil, that he wants to bear more fruit. He wants to go forward. So I want to offer some points of application as you perhaps bow your heads and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Maybe some have forgotten their position in Christ, and we need to strengthen and cultivate that reality that I am in Christ. I am united to him. I am safe and secure in him. And I am dedicated to remaining in him and staying in him, making my home in him. Maybe some need to strengthen that reality in our minds again more forcefully. Maybe some have forgotten or lost sight of our purpose, and that is to bear fruit so God is glorified. We pray for VBS, Lord, this week that you would just unleash a supernatural uh, wave of your Holy Spirit and that kids would come to Christ, kids would taste that good infection, kids would feel the love of God. And as the workers work, Lord, 
that they would be perfected in love. Maybe some have waned in expressing God's love, especially to the saints. Maybe, maybe there's some firming of relationships that could take place. Maybe some of us have uh, shirked from our willingness to be hated by the world. And we need to fortify ourselves that that's, that's part of the package, that's our portion is to be hated because we take a stand. Maybe some of us haven't fully leaned into our provision, which is the Holy Spirit, as we should. I'm going to invite any who would like to offer themselves to the Lord to stand right now, and we'll just have a prayer. Perhaps you just want to stand and say, Lord, prune me. I want to be more fruitful. I want to glorify you more. Or perhaps there's a sucker in your life that you can't seem to clip out yourself, that you need his grace and his strength. You need the gift of repentance. Or one of these areas that we've touched on. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that Jesus is the true vine. Lord, we just acknowledge that you are truth and reality. Everything else is false and a substitute. Every other claim falls far behind your claim. You are truth. You are reality. You are life. And Father, we thank you that you are the vine dresser, we thank you that you've grafted us in, Lord. We were, your word calls us wild olive shoots. And yet you chose, by your grace, by your amazing grace, to graft us into yourself and to draw life from the vine. We thank you, Lord. And we just admit, Lord, we need more pruning. We just... Uh, want to acknowledge, Lord, that it's your work in us that brings forth more fruit. So we pray we could cooperate more fully in Jesus' name. We offer ourselves anew to you this morning. We invite you to cut away the suckers, Lord. We invite you to make us more fruitful. We ask that in these five critical areas, Lord, you would help us. You would help us to be absolutely firm in Christ, absolutely adhere to you and cling to you, and that the strength of that clinging and the strength of that abiding would grow stronger and stronger each day. We pray that we would bear more fruit and bring you more glory we pray that we would express your love, Lord, more fully. May we be faithful to absorb the hatred of the world and enter into that fellowship of suffering with you and for you. And we pray, Lord, we'd be ever more reliant upon our provision, the Holy Spirit.
Father, we just, we just reach out to you and offer ourselves afresh. Hallelujah, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name.